our show Voices, where we're discussing uh, the global issue of domestic violence. And today we're really excited to have uh, Kennedy Otina with us from Femnet, and Kennedy's in Nairobi, Kenya. Welcome, Kennedy. Thank you. And uh, maybe, Kennedy, you can um, just tell us um, a little bit about your role at Femnet and what Femnet currently working on, because then we're going to have uh, a more challenging conversation today about the issue of genital mutilation uh, as facilitated by families in some African countries. So um, perhaps you can start with the work that you're doing. Well, thank you very much. Uh, my name is Kennedy Odiambo-Otina. I work for an organization known as the African Women's Development and Communication Network, uh, also uh, popularly known as FEMNET. Uh, at FEMNET, I'm uh, the regional program associate, Men to Men. Men to Men is, um, is a, a program under the advocacy uh, program uh, of FEMNET. And in Men to Men, uh, my main uh, responsibility is to re reach out to men, empower them, so that they are able to work with other men to transform societies or communities where they come from. So a man who is empowered reaching out to other men, and that is why we call ourselves Men to Men. Uh, Feminate uh, uh, is a, a Pan-African women's rights organization, like I uh, said earlier, and uh, we work in more than 43 countries in the continent of Africa. And so we work uh, at national regional and global levels to uh, promote advocacy and uh, promote women's rights work in general. Uh, Feminet is also a membership organization where uh, we have individual members as well as uh, institutional members or organizations who want to affiliate themselves with Feminet and uh, what Feminet uh, does. Currently, we are, uh, I, I would say we are the authentic uh, organization that um, you know represents uh, the interests of African women in uh, global platforms um, uh, in regional platforms and to bring them together to have a common position on issues uh, pertaining to their rights uh, to be able to undertake advocacy uh, reach out to their leaders and to be able to transform the continent of Africa we have a number of program areas. We have um, sexual reproductive health and rights work. We do um, women's rights work advocacy. We do uh, communication. We also do capacity building. In capacity building, we empower uh, member organizations to be able to meet their objectives, uh, that is in uh, women's rights work, so that uh, they are also able to impact the communities where they come from and where they operate. Uh, in terms of communication as a network, we have a number of uh, communication products that we promote and we produce. One such is um, we have our website, we have a monthly e-bulletin. We also have uh, publications which we, uh, we do. Uh, these publications um, gather information from uh, different stakeholders across the continent. And so when we do the publications, it contains, um, you know, a continental outlook. Uh, these publications are done uh, by annually, uh, one after every six months, uh, and it brings about issues, uh, thematic issues uh, of interest or of concern uh, to African women uh, within a, a given period. So in a nutshell, uh, we 
do uh, women's rights work in Africa. Mm. And it's uh, such incredible work you guys are doing because you're reaching out to so many countries across the African continent. So you guys have your hands full. Um, so currently you're working on uh, the issue of uh, genital mutilation uh, in some African countries, um, in my understanding. And, uh, yep. and there is a lot of work being done uh, by UN women and at um, a global level from the perspective of women's rights and human rights. Uh, but today we're talking about it, uh, acknowledging, you know, those discussions as well, but from the perspective of like what happens within the family unit, you know, as a form of domestic violence and child abuse. Um, uh, around uh, genital mutilation. So perhaps um, you can share a bit about uh, what you guys have uh, been doing on this front and what you've uncovered, what you've seen, what you've learnt. Yep. Oh, yes. Uh, Feminet has a very interesting ways of, uh, you know, working on uh, specific issues uh, around women's rights. And uh, currently, we have been piloting um, a program in Kenya, uh, and this uh, piloting is uh, targeting two communities. One, it's targeting a community in the central uh, eastern part of Kenya, uh, where female genital mutilation is very, very rampant. And female genital mutilation is rampant because it's perceived to be a cultural issue. And so in our work, we are uh, targeting religious and cultural uh, leaders to be able to move communities to transform um, attitudes that uh, perpetuate uh, acts like female genital mutilation. However, it's important to know that uh, female genital mutilation happens uh, under the watch or it's practiced uh, with the approval of uh, family members and mostly uh, family members at domestic level, because there's, um, the community and the cultural practice in this area believes that you can only be, um, uh, you can only graduate into being a woman after female genital mutilation has been performed on you. And so it, it is abated by the family, it is condoned by the family, and it happens within the family. Mm. It, uh, they, they use different tricks to, you know, to procure uh, f female genital mutilation. They would move uh, young girls from one area to the other. Um, a mother would take the daughter to a neighboring village to undergo female genital mutilation, and the father wouldn't uh, you know, say anything about it. Currently in Kenya, we have a law that prohibits uh, female genital mutilation. However, the, the communities continue to uh, perform female genital mutilation because what they do is to look for ways of evading uh, uh, public uh, scrutiny. And because it's condoned in the family, it, it, it is uh, sometimes performed uh, late in the night when everybody else is not aware. And by the time people are waking up, you only find, uh, get to know that it actually happened because um, the family organizes uh, celebrations and uh, you know ceremonies just to uh, to, to 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 make it um, uh, to make female genital mutilation appear like it's um, a, a very important process and a stage in uh, in, in a person's life. Mm. So this 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 uh, practice has been there for a long time. However, uh, it's important to note that. Uh, 
we are making a lot of progress in terms of uh, trying to eradicate this practice. One, by engaging religious and cultural leaders. From time immemorial, religious organizations in Kenya and in this part of Kenya, which is Tarakaniti, um, it's uh, an area, a county called Tarakaniti in Kenya. Religious uh, organizations have been at the fore in uh, uh, mobilizing communities to, and, uh, to perform alternative rites of passage. And the alternative rites of passage was uh, usually, uh, you know, a ceremonial and a, a training for girls, which uh, uh, and it, it, uh, female genital mutilation was not performed. But on the other side, uh, community members who are not church members would, uh, would continue to perform uh, female genital mutilation. So our idea was to bring these two, uh, the cultural leaders and uh, religious leaders, to work together towards changing the attitudes uh, of the community members mm. to abhor female genital mutilation. So what, what, what is happening is that uh, with the uh, empowerment and capacity building programs that we've been able to do in this area, the religious and cultural leaders are the ones actually going out to the community members, talking to them about uh, the dangers of female genital mutilation. And as a result, we are seeing uh, transformation bit by bit we are not saying that there's a hundred percent transformation, but there's a process towards changing of um, you know beliefs that uh, condoned uh, female genital mutilation. That, alongside the existing laws, is uh, giving us a lot of um, uh, mileage in terms of uh, working out uh, ideas of uh, uh, ending female genital mutilation. What is important uh, to uh, take into account is the fact that female genital mutilation does not happen or is not performed in public. It's performed by family members within the family or within the domestic settings. So that is why it is sometimes very complicated to, to eradicate completely mm. uh, because uh, when the family members believe that female genital mutilation is, 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 is something that they accept, then if the family members accept female genital mutilation, then it becomes a challenge for uh, the response to be uh, public. So interventions that uh, seek to eradicate female genital mutilation must develop programs that uh, target individual family members. And you know that can be a bit uh, challenging. Tedious in terms, yeah. uh, uh, challenging in terms of uh, you know, reaching out to each and every household. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, to, a large, to a large extent, we've been able to, you know, sensitize the public, and we are using the existing laws now to push uh, for prosecution of any f people or anybody who, uh, you know, in one way or the other performs female genital mutilation or condones female genital mutilation. Yeah. Because the law currently says that, you know, even if, 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 if uh, somebody... Uh, performs female genital mutilation and, and you have knowledge that that uh, act is going to be performed and then you don't take action, then you, you are also liable for uh, prosecution. We've had cases of um, what we call public interest litigation where we take up uh, a case uh, as a model case in a community so that it sends um, uh, a very strong message in the community that this thing, the female genital mutilation is illegal. Uh, and, and so what we are doing increasingly is we are uh, giving the task and responsibility to religious cultural leaders and families to take action against female genital mutilation. So Kennedy, let me ask you this, because 
uh, female genital mutilation is still widely practiced um, in some countries around the world. Um, yes. And uh, for many of us, though, it seems like such a foreign concept, you know, uh, people who have never culturally uh, had to experience these kinds of things. And when you consider that it's not only condoned but practised by family members and particularly mothers, one, um, and it's passed through the generation as like a rite of passage or an initi initiation into womanhood process, then the mm. mothers who are condoning or participating in the genital mutilation have likely been mutilated themselves as young girls. So for yes. them to then participate in this kind of practice with their own daughters, one must think that there's quite a deep cultural uh, truth value uh, or idea inside of what benefit this is to the girls or the importance of the initiation practice for the girls. So, yes. so that we can understand it a little more deeply, um, can you share with us what are these cultural ideas? What are the, the beliefs that uh, these communities hold that they feel that this practice is so important to their family members? There's a lot of myths and misconceptions about uh, about uh, about female genital mutilation in this in this community, and and that is what is used to reinforce you know the practice. One, uh, they, uh, there's this notion that uh, if you undergo female genital mutilation, then you are you be you you are clean, and uh, you are clean in the sense that um, it it uh, they assume that uh, female genital mutilation helps in making sure that a woman is clean, a clean in quotes because. Cleanliness to them uh, means a different thing. That if you have your full sexual organ, then you are not clean. The second thing they say is about that because you're likely to be promiscuous if you have your full the, sexual that organ. That is the other thing. Th okay. There's one one thing is you know it it makes you clean. But then the second uh, argument that they have, or a case that they put across in the community, is that. You know, a woman who has not undergone female genital mutilation, or a woman who has not been mutilated, is 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 uh, is highly promiscuous, and uh, and and so uh, uh, they say the, the the a woman who has not undergone female genital mutilation has a, a very acute urge for sex, mm. and this is uh, oh, it's it's like propaganda. The other thing is that when you don't uh, undergo female genital mutilation in this community. You are um, you are perceived as um, as as unclean, and uh, you cannot serve uh, fellow women, you know, in a social uh, gathering. And you know, in most African societies, people believe in uh, you know relationships and the social fabric. But then, if 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 you are you know singled out and profiled that you know you've not undergone female genital mutilation, so you cannot even serve uh, your community members. You cannot serve your husband. Uh, with anything, you cannot serve, uh, perform certain community uh, activities because you are unclean. Mm. Uh, the other thing. So the, the unclean other, the does other, that? Sorry, does the unclean relate to disease particularly, or what uh, type? What does it? What does unclean mean in this context? Just well, like not, an, an not clean, a pure woman, or or are they worrying about actual disease? They, they are not actually talking about disease when they say you are unclean. They are talking about uh, uh, the cleanliness that they are talking about is that you, 
you become extremely sensitive sexually and sometimes you get aroused unnecessarily. That is what they say uh, they perceive to be unclean. Okay. And so that, that is what they use as a, as a, as a, as a strategy to, to, you know, to justify some of these uh, actions uh, like female genital mutilation. The other thing is that uh, to them it's a cultural thing. You know, it's, it's an identity. If you don't perform female, if you don't undergo female genital mutilation, it's like you don't uh, get that sense of belonging or being part of uh, that particular community, and uh, that then means that you are you are you are excluded. You 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 are an outcast kind of um, a person. And so most of these women, or most of these people uh, in the community, would want to be to get to have a sense of belonging, and uh, because of all this, then they be they begin to you know, uh, put a lot of pressure on, uh, on on girls who've not undergone female genital mutilation. At be, it being a social event, again, you know, once uh, a girl has been undergone female genital mutilation, the family would throw a party and a ceremony, and members of the community would come and celebrate with them uh, as a pro, you know, to celebrate uh, a girl's graduation into womanhood. And so the, the community will also be on watch, will be looking at you uh, as, as, you know, when are we going to celebrate um, uh, the womanhood in your, in your family? When, when are your daughters going to undergo female genital mutilation so that they can also come and enjoy uh, uh, the, the, the party and party in your family? So all this then puts a lot of pressure on, uh, on family members and uh, people to perform female genital mutilation. And so how um, I understand uh, what you're saying about uh, this idea, because I think, you know, the work that you're doing in order to make a difference to it, you first have to understand the beliefs that are driving these kinds of actions and behaviours in order to create this cultural change within yes. societies. So I'm just trying to get, you know, our listeners on understanding it a little more deeply as well so that you know there can be more of a global push to help uh, alter these practices but yeah. do you think that um, in uh, you know you're talking about these cultural practices that are passed through generations of family and this association of uh, cleanliness as like a, a kind of purity or a, a, an absence of sexual desire uh, and those kinds of ideas of cleanliness have been around for such a long time, even in Western communities. And, mm -hmm. you know, still even today in some different types of versions, yeah, with uh, more and more uh, speaking out about slut shaming and things like this in, in other cultures. Um, this idea of women having sexual desire or having a sexual body as, as being somehow dirty or unclean is not mm -hmm. uh, a particularly um, African idea um, mm -hmm. and has been around in many places, but it just looks many different, takes many different forms. But this practice is particularly brutal uh, to the, the, the physiology of women. But I, I noticed in my time in Africa um, and uh, working in Africa that, uh, you know, when I have spoken with people um, about male-female relationships 
there seems to be this deeply embedded, um, and I don't want to generalize Africa because it's made up of so many countries with many different cultures, but um, I guess I'm asking this question of you, whether this has a role to play in the idea of male and female relationships, where I um, have interviewed with some men and uh, the idea seems to be that um, men are the kind of weaker creature and they're driven by these kind of animal passions of, of sex and sexuality. So there's a certain cultural acceptance of men having affairs. But if the women were to do it, the women are perceived to be the strength of uh, being above all of that. Um, then, you know, the men would die, basically. They, they, there would just be so much shame or so much inability to deal with that potentiality that there seems to be this um, quiet acceptance in some communities where, you know, men... Uh, it's okay for men to be driven by sexual desire and be unfaithful in their relationships, but under no circumstances can women... Uh, because women are supposed to be above and, and beyond those kind of animalistic type practices. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is, mm -hmm. Do you think that that has a role to play, that men are kind of trying to secure their own psychological safety uh, by it, taking the desire away from women? It, it is true that um, in, in, in most of our communities in Africa, uh, men uh, are living in um, you know uh, uncertainty in the sense that they are not prepared for you know uh, 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 the changes that we are seeing in the sense that uh, we, women are uh, also uh, appreciated as human beings. Uh, women, women also have their own desires, and uh, this is all about power, uh, power and control. Uh, mm. Men would want a lot of times to decide on what kind of uh, you know on women's sexuality without necessarily giving that room for women to make choices. And this uh, goes beyond beyond just the issues around uh, sociocultural practices like female genital mutilation. Because if you look at uh, a woman's sexuality in most of our uh, communities in Africa, a woman is not even allowed to make decisions on things like uh, f uh, family planning, uh, the use of contraceptives, uh, when to have sex and who to have sex with and so on and so forth. So if you listen to the communities where female genital mutilation is being practiced, a lot of times they say one of the other reasons is that uh, uh, the female genital mutilation is performed so that you can, be ma uh, you can get married. You, you know, it's, a, it's a way of getting uh, you a husband. Uh, and uh, uh, there are beliefs in some of these communities, uh, like in Tarakanit, that if a woman has not undergone female genital mutilation, then she cannot be married to a man from that community because there's this fear that um, the sexual appetite might be too much for the man uh, to handle. Uh, which or is that she might stray from the marriage, which is yes, uh, yeah. a, a big she fear might, of she the might men. Say, yes, yeah. it's, a, it's usually a, a big fear among the men that this woman is likely to stray. And actually that is why they are saying they are curtailing their sexual urge so that they remain within that marriage relationship or they remain faithful in their marriage uh, to their husband. Mm. And it's really interesting, you know, because uh, in some Western countries, often women are perceived to be uh, less 
sexual than men or less sexually desirous as men. Yet in, mm. in, in these countries, apparently the appetite is so voracious that we have to, you know, curtail this like crazy sexuality that women have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, re it's, it's really interesting to see these paradoxical ideas of, of what we're defining as female sexuality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, a man would want to, if uh, in in the in the context of uh, Africa, a man would want to, you know, just decide when to have sex, and uh, most of the time they wouldn't even want to, oh, to come in a, to find themselves in a situation where a woman is asking for sex. That to them means like you know, I, it's too much for the uh, too much a, a task that they or mostly uh, feel they cannot handle. So you look at all these uh, ideas around female genital mutilation, you already see that, you know, there's the fear uh, that is in some of the men in, the, in communities where female genital mutilation is practiced is, uh, is, is, is sexist in a way. Mm -hmm. Sexist because, um, you know, it's aimed at controlling the, the sexual desire of the woman mm -hmm. so that she remains faithful. Mm, yeah. According and, to them. Yeah. And so there are also uh, initiation practices for boys to become men also, but they're different, right? They're not um, sexually oriented like they are for women. They're more defined uh, according to the cultural perception of masculine roles. You know, yeah. like the yeah. female role is to be the, 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 the faithful wife and yeah. to be somehow subservient to the man in terms of the men get to make the decisions about how and when certain things happen. Um, mm. So is there also being uh, what, like, uh, what kinds of uh, practices are being undertaken for men in these communities where uh, genital mutilation is happening for women? Well, in the same, same communities, men uh, also undergo uh, what they call circumcision. And then when they undergo circumcision, their training is, again, so different from that of a woman. Uh, they are never told to be faithful. Uh, they, are, uh, they are encouraged that, you know, in order for you to be a true man in your community, you are supposed to have, um, you know, a polygamous relationship. And so... There's nobody who is telling the men that, you know, you need to be faithful to your wife uh, and so on and so forth. So and, polygamy and, and is actually encouraged, is it, amongst it, the men yeah, as an expression of virility? Yes, it's, it's, it's encouraged. Actually, in some scenarios, when uh, these uh, boys are now being, uh, you know, ushered into manhood after, uh, after circumcision, they would also be encouraged to have a sexual uh, intercourse with a, a, a girl or a woman so that, uh, you know, they test if they are back to normal, test their organ uh, if it's back to normal. And, and nobody comes back to tell them that, you know, you need to, you know, be uh, faithful and uh, to a one woman uh, in your life. And so if you look at it in, uh, in the long run, you find that um, it, it is costing women their, you know, self-worth, their sexuality, while on the other side the men are having a, a field day because they are enjoying their, uh, their sexuality, they are moving from one relationship to the other without being, uh, you know, being, being questioned mm. by the, the, the women they marry.
Yeah. So if it's uh, such driven by such a deep-seated idea about the difference between uh, feminine identities and masculine identities, um, it's not just a matter then of just changing uh, initiation practices. You, there's something that has to be really tapped into or challenged about like male and female roles and uh, female sexuality in particular. So how are you working with uh, religious and community leaders to uh, try and deal with that issue because surely giving them an alternative initiation practice is not going to take care necessarily of this fundamental idea that women need to be curtailed uh, in order to uh, assume their, their, their feminine role as the loyal faithful wife. Um, so how are you guys uh, challenging those kinds of ideas in these communities? Very interesting because uh, one thing that we've done with this community is that we've been working in uh, there for four years now. This is the fourth year to mean that we've had a very long relationship with them. And we started uh, our work with a baseline, which uh, later on we, you know, we, before we developed the fully fledged program. But then uh, if you look at the intervention by targeting religious and cultural leaders, one, uh, religious leaders were already coming out openly to, to abhor female genital mutilation. And um, in, their, in, their, in, their, in their doctrine or in their teachings, they try to encourage members of the community to, uh, to reject female genital mutilation. On the other side, cultural leaders were arguing out that female genital mutilation is their identity. And, and uh, for one to belong to that community, uh, one had to undergo female genital mutilation. So there was a lot of antagonism. What we've done is to bring these two important um, uh, constituencies together first as religious and cultural leaders so that they understand uh, each other. Um, by understanding each other, I mean working together. Uh, the third thing we've done is to train them to know the dangers of female genital mutilation. And so by so doing, then they are the ones now reaching out to the members of their communities because they already have a constituency to be able to promote uh, alternative rites of passage. On the other side, um, when we are working to eradicate female genital mutilation, on one side, we are targeting women and girls and members of the community. But then the boys who are going through initiation also, we've had programs that target them within the, when they are healing, when they are in the process of healing and when they are uh, I, uh, when they are being, uh, uh, when they are undergoing uh, circumcision, and this has helped in you know bringing in new ideas of you know masculinity and uh, how to be a responsible man. And um, what we are seeing is that they are also able to talk uh, openly and say, oh, we, as we are growing up, we don't want to marry girls who've undergone female genital mutilation. That then brings about a new discussion in the community that is it worthy uh, undergoing female genital mutilation? And we also expose them to communities where female genital mutilation is not practiced mm. and uh, only to, to affirm to them that, you know, there's life, the female genital mutilation doesn't add any value in your community because all the, the other communities in Kenya or 70% uh, of the communities in Kenya don't perform female genital mutilation, but they lead normal lives. They have good, uh, um, many of them have uh, steady families, 
and so uh, you you don't lose anything by ending female genital mutilation mm. yeah it's yeah. very interesting because you're you're tapping into you know many 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 generations of belief systems and uh and trying to undertake a a change in that um, so thank you so much for your time, Kennedy. It's uh, been a really important conversation and I think that, you know, it's important that the world uh, uh, gets uh, more understanding of these kinds of issues and that, you know, child abuse or domestic violence can look so many different ways in many yeah. parts of the world, but inherently that's still what it's about is this like passing on of, of belief systems and trauma uh, over mm. generations. Uh, so it's really valuable because I think not too many people in um, uh, countries outside of where genital mutilation is practiced really understand uh, what that, that process is about. So perhaps you can share with our audience um, the the web address um, for FemNet uh, if they want to learn more or contribute uh, to the great work that you guys are doing. Thank you very much. I'm happy to share the web uh, address of FemNet, which is www.femnet.co.co. FemNet is F E M N e t dot c o that's the web address for femnet okay and great we'll be very happy to partner with uh, anybody who is interested in supporting this kind of work fantastic and thanks so much for being our partner for the free yourself global campaign kennedy um, we're really excited to be able to contribute to um to, to the great work you guys are doing and and so many con uh, african countries um on the continent and um, if anybody wants to check out our website, www.freeyourselfglobal.com, um, you can also uh, participate and share your stories about uh, domestic violence in the family um, and what it looks like in your part of the world. So thanks very much today, Kennedy. It was great to have you Thank on you. our show. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for the great work too. Okay. Thanks, Kennedy. Bye. Bye.